Welcome to Sideboob Cinema, your podcast within our podcast. My name is Ricky Allpike. I've got AJ. I've got John. Lady, gentlemen, how are we? Uh, yeah, good. Good. Yep. Again, I didn't. I didn't have a. <laughs> AJ, I, we'll get better. No, but AJ, I thought I was gonna. I was go in my mind. I was like, okay, now say something big. So go, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but I just you know I never I just don't want to do that and then not deliver on it you know like like <laughs> I go right. yeah and then like then the, then it's a fizzer and people go oh why did oh. you, you jam me up <laughs> no we need to be Jade from the get go all right well I am Jade this is this is going to be great so this is part of our sort of like what do we say Australia Day. Uh, preparation because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. let's face it look i danced around it last week australia day is fraught isn't it yeah yeah in yeah. australia like so if you're listening from all around the world like like well if you're in canada you know what it's all about because you know i don't know the, that's a that's the, the could canada be the most self-flagellating country in the world i think yes. so possibly well yeah. we're, we're, we're right behind you don't worry so Australia Day, uh, I actually don't really have a dog in the fight. I'm just, you know, saying that whenever it rolls around, it's a bit, you know, you don't know what to do. So what I think we should do is we'll just watch some shitty Australian movies. <laughs> Talk about them. Sounds good. Well, before we do that, I, 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 I actually wanted to read a poem before each episode here. Okay. Before each episode, yeah. like for, for the duration or just for this <laughs> session? Or? For the Australiana, ep- wow. for, for the January, okay? As you can tell, this was just dropped on us. That was, <laughs> don't you think this is a very Russell Crowe move, though, <laughs> isn't it? All right, go on. Standing at the limit of an endless ocean, stranded like a runaway lost at sea. City on a rainy day down in the harbour, watching as the grey clouds shadow the bay looking everywhere because i had to find you this is not the way that i remember it here anyone will tell you it's a prisoner island hidden in the summer for a million years great southern land some of my favorite lyrics of all time actually beautiful just beautiful i i i yeah i i i think that that's i is it my favorite australian song i think it is could be Mm. absolutely great song aj you think you've got a better one what's what's better than that under the milky way tonight Okay, all right. Well, that's all right. But uh, Great <laughs> Southern Land. I, I don't think I know that song. Yeah, you would. Would I? Okay. Yeah. I'll look it up. <laughs> well, anyway, that was Ice Not House. Sing it. <laughs> that was Ice House. And I love those. Uh, and I think, you know, and it's a very Sydney song as well, mm. something about that harbour and all that. Uh, but it is related to today's episode. We're, we're doing Razorback today. And uh, the music was done by one Ivor Davies of Ice House. That so is correct. It's all I, I haven't cut into trivia there. I hope. <laughs> no, no. We'll we'll talk about we'll talk about him later in the show for sure. Okay. Well, let's get this. Let, 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 let's see what this movie is all about first. Die. Somewhere in the Australian outback, he is waiting. Something big scared him away. Like what? I don't know, but it was huge. It was as big as a rhino. Jake Cullen, the obsessed hunter, determined to stop it. Don't to come to the water hole to drink. Jake, get some help. Andy will No, Andy. he's mine. You're a Beth Animal campaigner? 
and dumped at the pet pack cannery eight miles west of here. The American animal campaigner who got more than the story she bargained for. She wasn't very popular around here. What'd you do to my wife, Benny? And the crazed brothers who protected their own secrets at all costs. You ask too many bloody questions, you know that? Do you know what happened to her? Razorbacks. Carl Winters searching for the answers. Godless vermin. He's only got two states of being. Dangerous or dead. That boar destroyed his life. Now, listen, Bill, you're in the middle of bugger all here, so for Christ's sake, don't go walk about. We'll never find you. Now, we'll be back in five or six hours. Gregory Harrison in his first major motion picture, running for his life. If you're going to do it, just bloody do it. Hello? Tell a man, shoot me! You finished the kangaroo! Shoot me! Produced by Hal McElroy from Australia's hottest new director, Russell Mulcahy. Razorback. He's only got two states of being. Dangerous or dead. Razorback. Okay, so Razorback. Jake Cullen, played by uh, Bill Kerr, is a man of the land in the Australian outback. He's attacked one dark night by a giant Razorback, which is kind of just like, I don't know, just a big, big pig, sort of. Basically, he survives, but his grandson does not. And uh, Jake is suspected of killing the boy, but he's acquitted shortly after. Uh, uh, One thing's clear, he has got a date with that hairy pig coming up. So two years later, Beth Williams, a plucky American reporter, heads to the town of Gamala to investigate animal rights abuses. There's a dodgy small-time pet food setup called Pet Pack that's allegedly been shooting up kangaroos and turning them into pet food. Beth goes snooping at Pet Pack and discovers it's run by a pair of charmers called Benny and Dicko. Uh, so she's caught in the act filming them uh, at Pet Pack and she takes off into the night. Benny and Dicko track Beth down and run her off the road. And Dicko tries to get his end away with the injured woman. A strange growl in the night causes the men to flee, and Beth is mauled to death by the Razorback of the title. So Beth is declared missing, uh, fallen down a mine shaft, they say. But her partner, Carl, back in NYC, is not so sure, so he flies to Gamala to get some answers. First up, he talks to Jake Cullen. That's the grieved grandfather from earlier, he, who's now hell-bent on finding this uh, Razorback. So Jake gives him some interesting boar facts and then tells him to check out Pet Pack. Carl goes to Pet Pack and uh, like just sort of hangs out with Benny and Dicko uh, for some reason that I'm not quite sure why they do that. But anyway, they take him on a terrifying uh, kangaroo shoot in the middle of the night and uh, just dump him there. Uh, Carl is attacked by some boars and wanders through the desert back to Gamala. And uh, he stumbles across a farmstead belonging to hot boar researcher Sarah Cameron. All right. Hottie, major hottie. Yes, well, we'll get to that line. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jake finds Beth's wedding ring uh, in the Razorback's dookie and uh, reports back to Carl that his wife is indeed dead. Carl resolves to return home to NYC. Jake, uh, our Razorback hunter, has his showdown with the boar and he gets totally killed. But manages to hit the pig with a tracking dart beforehand. Now, uh, 
Uh, suspecting that Dicko and Benny actually had a hand in his wife's death, Carl goes on the hunt for them and uh, dispatches Benny down a mine shaft. Uh, well, sort of, you know, uh, it's a bit of a line call. I think he sort of kills him, but not really. Uh, and then he heads to Pet Pack to take care of Dicko. Now, enter the Razorback who kills Dicko, attacks Sarah. Uh, and then shortly after, Carl lures the pig over to a giant shredder and the Razorback is destroyed. Um, did you get all that, AJ? I did. You did. Did I <laughs> miss anything out? <laughs> it was hectic. It sounds hard to follow, but I think when, when you watch it, it's, it's a bit, easier. It's a bit mm. easier than that. Right. So you think I've, I've made it sound convoluted? Well, I don't know. I, I don't think you've done it on purpose. I, I don't know how else you would explain it, but... Well, so well, starting macro, this is a Ozploitation film. Now, what what do we, we what do we think of Ozploitation? What what is Ozploitation? Does anyone know? It's like uh, cheap and nasty horror action movies that were made in the seventies here in Australia uh, and into the eighties. Yeah, and I heard they had a bit of resurgence, you know, maybe ten or so years ago with a documentary, not quite, not quite Hollywood, directed by uh, Mark Harley, which I recommend to everyone. And uh, the only the other thing I'd say about these films is, now, I think they mentioned this in the, the documentary, uh, in the 80s in particular, uh, the, a lot of these films were made sort of as a bit of a tax scheme. Right. You know, there, there was a famous uh, sort of, I forget what it was called, it had a name, this, this, this tax uh, shelter <laughs> type thing that you could do where you could, where you could sink money into a movie and, and you know, and, and make a little bit back or whatever. Uh, they shut that down, uh, I think, in the 90s. But that, that is one, one of the reasons there was a big proliferation of these movies. And, you know, uh, I, I happen to like a lot of the stuff that came out of it. Look, obviously, there's a lot, of, a lot of trash, but a lot of imagination, a lot of um, very commercial things. Do you know what I mean? And um, uh, most of the work done in Australia is is, is done by uh, funding bodies, and you know they are very risk averse. They're also very political. They're very fucking woke now. So you know they've always been obsessed with uh, you know uh, that kind of thing uh, on the left. Uh, and so this was this something great about this this profit motive uh, forced them to you know all these these wonderfully grotesque movies like like Razorback <laughs> to sort of come out of the sewer you know and attack the, the citizens mm. and the interesting thing is though a lot of these movies were made at the same time that that some of these big uh, or successful art house movies here in Australia were made like like picnic at hanging rock my brilliant career um, films like that. I guess you could put Storm Boy in there, maybe. Australian New Wave. Of yeah, the 70s. yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting though because back in the silent era, like Australia made more films than like Hollywood did. There was like a really? huge silent. Yes, yes, hundred percent. And uh, when talking films came about, for some reason, the the industry kind of died. And then we we didn't make movies at all, like through the fifties and sixties. And then it was through the Whitlam government and I think uh, the South Australian government at the time, they, uh, they were really into art and they wanted culture. And so then they, they started they started Afters, which is the Australian Film Television Radio School, but they also so yeah, started these, these funding bodies to, to start funding films. And that's when you really had this explosion 
in the 70s. Um, and yeah, like you say, the, the funding bodies currently are extremely woke and... Well, they're just, they're the Green Goblin, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're just like, <laughs> they're just whereas, whereas back then, it, it feels as though, um, yeah, almost almost anyone, almost anyone could make a movie, you know, yeah. like you, you had an idea, um, you had a little bit of ability, perhaps, or, you know, sometimes people didn't even know what the fuck they were doing and they were making movies, but... That was the spirit, and you get that yeah. from all these movies. There was an adventurous mm. spirit. There was a. They were. They were obviously. You know, the stunt. There was lots of. You know, dangerous stuff they did as well. They didn't. There was no permits. None of that shit. You know. Uh, so, I just feel like you know it was a really adventurous time, and we'll get into the film shortly. But it was just a really adventurous time in filmmaking, and you know, I feel like ever since the nineties, that was my formative years. And, and it was just become a complete dearth of imagination. Do you know mm. what I mean? And the industry is just taken over by just a couple of people, like a couple of voices. And then, and now, Oh my God, now the way this woke stuff has taken over the, the funding bodies is crazy. Like they, they have a full buy-in, like, you know, struggle session. You've got to go, you got to, you got to have a struggle session the moment you walk in the door, mm. you know, so you know, you're not making Razorback, no, <laughs> no. you know, you're not making Razorback. That's right. tip. <laughs> so is this the first time any everyone had seen this movie? Yes. Uh, I've seen it maybe three or four times. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that is a lot. Bunch, um, a bunch yeah. of times. Well, you know, I, I went through a period of, of checking out a lot of Australian exploitation films. So, well, it's fair to say this one is, you know, we have to say it was made for about what five and a half million, and it only got at the box office maybe eight hundred thousand. So we have to say it was a box office bomb, probably. But apparently, uh, you know, one of the docos I was watching said that the the rights were sold to someone, and and then that that one guy ended up making money because it did quite well in some weird. European places. Mm. Or something. Oh wow! I, I did like hear that, that it, it did well somewhere. I can't remember where. Yeah. Well, anyway, it didn't do well where it should have. <laughs> well, so. I, I think I think there's a key there's a key reason for that, and that would be the pig itself. <laughs> the, the the mechanical pig um, is just it, no good. It, it it's no good. It doesn't work. So this film's being compared a lot to Jaws because they had a similar problem where the mechanical shark you know, was was terrible. But Spielberg used it in a way like you, you hardly ever see it. You know, the threat is always there. But I think that works because the shark's underwater. You know, you, you unless you're underwater in there, you don't really see sharks except for the fin anyway. So it kind of works. But in this movie, because the pig is right there out in the open, but still you never see it. But it's a universe. Yeah, sharks are a universal fear. True. Mm. Yeah. Like a boar, you've got like they Not have so to- much. <laughs> well, well they they sort of have to talk you into it. They have to go, oh yeah, they're really scary. And you go, oh, are they? And you're hmm. like, like you sort of have to be like their reputation doesn't precede them. No. Like I don't want to tangle with them. I'm just saying that, like, you know, it's not the same horror that you have when you look down and you can't see the bottom of the, of the ocean. Mm. You know, <laughs> like yeah. that's that's I mean Yeah, it's more well, universal. That's crazy. Sure. So, yeah. so I don't know. That is a problem. Yeah. The the other thing that I think inspired this film is the death of Azaria Chamberlain. Definitely. For those of you uh, overseas who, who, who are not familiar with the Lindy Chamberlain case, so in 1980, uh, a baby, a nine-week-old Australian baby girl was killed by a dingo 
um, and the uh, the kid's mum, Lindy, uh, Lindy, was basically uh, accused and then tried and found guilty for the murder of of the baby. She, I think she served three years of a life sentence, and then uh, they found the jacket in some dingo uh, sort of cave hideout place, um, and then she ended up getting getting acquitted of it. So it's kind of similar because in the start of the movie, the boar takes the takes the um, the kid and. The grandfather's accused, so there's that inspiration there. But that whole that was a real that was a big deal culturally. That whole thing, huge, yeah. I mean, it spawned the the dingo's got my baby phrase. You know, that yeah. Elaine says in Seinfeld. You know, yeah. yes, yeah, absolutely. So it was it was big, and there was a movie made. Uh, mm. I think uh, there, there was a fucking opera made. No shit. Yeah, yeah, That's right. crazy. Mm. Um, does the the word dingo sound good? Um, I don't know. I haven't checked it out. I don't in, think it's in falsetto. Mezzo <laughs> yeah. soprano. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think it was uh, successful enough to, you know, make it onto Blu-ray or anything what? like that. So, What's uh... up, yo? That's So, so the the boar was designed by Bob uh, McCarran. And there were a total of six boars made for the film. Um, one of them was designed to ram vehicles and, and other ones were just heads and stuff like that. But there was one full-bodied one. Um, but, yeah, it just it, – it never works. It looks fake. Uh, you know, they have to do a lot of sort of suggestive techniques to, to trick you, I guess. But, yeah. but I think they've really missed – and we'll talk about uh, – I mean, probably we'll talk about Benny and Dicko now, but – I reckon they really missed something here. They could have made the film more about Benny and Dicko and the fact that they killed uh, the reporter from America, and and maybe they could have used the boar as kind of a an excuse or. And still brought the boar back into it. Well, mm. I, I reckon it could still work. Like I think the boar could still be taken, uh, the kid could still be uh, taken by the boar in the beginning, and then uh, and then Benny and Dicko could claim that you know the woman was taken by the boar. It would make it a lot more like that movie Shame with um, uh, Hugh Jackman's wife, Deborah, Deborah Lee, which is good. It's a neo-Western and, yeah, it's, it's, it's got all those themes. It's actually, you know, because th- there are a couple of films in the, I think Fair Games, another one from the 80s, this same period, mm-hmm. where that, that covers this sort of, but Fair Game is basically this without the, um, the pig. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Um, and uh, I, look, you've led me on to the biggest thing. So I agree that the pig is no good. And the, I, I think that this movie, I think this is the most stylish, tragic failure in Australian cinema. Yeah, yeah. It is an amazing looking film. It, it, it is so, inc- this is incredible, mm. the way this film looks. It's, it is, it's so good, it's a bummer when the pig shows up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen a movie quite look like this either. No. It's ground it's groundbreaking. Like it's like it's incredible. It's 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 um uh totally even now underrated really. I mean some they've got some fervid loose units who who go on about it, but they don't they're not pushing it the way they should. Like I think they need to come harder down on the pig. Like this is the most striking looking Australian movie I've ever seen. Um Beautiful compositions, thanks to Dean, Dean part, in part to Dean Semler, the DOP. Uh, vivid colours, lots of trick shots. We've got matte shots. There's like, you know, so they've done painting on glass mats to get these fantastic, you know, dream, dream-like imagery. Wide-angle lenses, huge beams of light. 
like you, you know the way that they throw light around in this in this movie is is a, the sign of uh, you know, masterful filmmaking, and and it's what separates stupid Australian cinema from the rest of good cinema is that we don't throw enough fucking light around. So every time, like they're outside, there's these these unmotivated huge lights hidden behind trees and houses and cars, and and it just gives it a big, wonderful, scary look. And mm. you know, we've got that big fake moon that they build. Uh, for the background of one scene, like so, it's like almost like Wizard of Oz style, like like in terms of you know uh, fakery. Um, it's a complete vision uh, that deserves you know a slightly better script. No offense to Everett DeRoche uh, who wrote it, but uh, you know there are sections of this movie that are totally masterful. So there's two scenes, two sections that that make me yearn for to see the movie. This could have been uh, the first one is the the uh, montage sequence when carl the the husband is headed to australia it's a quick set of of scenes that catch us up to speed with what happened after beth gets killed and before carl rolls up it's him on the bus doing his you know shaving his face and we get cuts of of you know jake talking to camera talking you know from beth's videotape talking about the the boar we see you know um uh that stupid australian drama guy what's his name john what's his face uh john howard yeah that that fucking guy talking about uh you know in the background there's like a reel-to-reel shadow going behind as he's sort of giving testimony it i mean this is real cinema you know what i mean i was like oh wow like that's really beautifully made The second scene that that really sets this apart, and it's and I should just quickly quickly mention the music before we go into that as well. It's the music as well that makes all these images really come come to life. It's the scene with Sarah and Carl outside watching the sunset. Ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Outstanding. Outstanding. It looks incredible. The guy's performance is fantastic. I've never seen a sky look like that. Like it's it rivals gone with the wind, the way that the way that the way that 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 landscape looks. So it's and the music is just you know otherworldly. The day she disappeared was our anniversary. First one. (laughs) She didn't want to make this trip. She was six weeks pregnant and worried about the baby. I'm the one that convinced her to go. You okay? Yeah. Uh, and so it's those those 
two scenes in particular. Oh, wait a minute. I've, I haven't mentioned the fucking the desert scene. Yeah, the mm. desert scene. The desert scene. Sorry, we <laughs> like that's the best scene in the movie. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Are yeah. we all? Are we all agreed with that? Yeah, with the horses that come out of the ground. Mm. The whole scene, the yeah. whole sequence is yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, he did it uh, a lot of it with a double as well because Carl, the the or the the, the main actor guy, uh, he his he his work was finished and he was gone. Oh. So there, so there are some shots in it where where it is him, obviously, but there's a whole bunch where it's in shadow or it's close up. And uh, apparently he, he, Russell Mulcahy, the director, knew that uh, he wouldn't, you know, they were sort of, everyone was sort of at the end of their tether. He knew he wouldn't have the resources or their studio wouldn't approve what he wanted to do. So he just, they just went out and did, with the skeleton crew and, and did, did that stuff. Mm. In the script, it just says, apparently, you know, he gets knocked out, you know, uh, and then he wakes up at the farmstead. Yeah. And then he's put in this scene with those flares going off in the sky yeah, yeah. and, you know, the the cr- giant cracks in the landscape. Yeah, yeah. Incredible stuff. It salt, is, yeah. Salt planes, like. Well, that that's the director's, uh, his experience doing music videos that, that's really come come to shine there, I think. Absolutely. And, and it totally steals the movie. Like, I'm just like, oh, And the man. music's great there too, I think. Uh, I think the scores, the, the subtle subtle sections in the score are actually the best parts of it, you know, and that's one striking example. You've got this high synthesizer melody and this low uh, fretless bass playing, um, and it is kind of ice house as well, you know, whereas some of the other stuff is a bit more a bit more kind of electronic film scorey. Uh, but I think the subtle things, you can really hear the, the, the ice house in it, I reckon. It's just the most incredible sequence. And um... well, well, I've got a, a really nice quote here from the New York Times. They said the landscapes have a wonderfully bizarre, almost Dali-esque character. This is a place where the full moon never wanes. Oh, that's nice. Mm. That's good. Yeah, and also this movie is is such an amazing looking movie that Steven Spielberg actually called up the director to ask him questions about wow. how we did certain things and how that's we got crazy. It to look so. I mean, that's validation right there. Yes, yes. No, that's that's high praise indeed. Mm. Yeah, no. It's it's just it just get that feeling, that sense of loss. You know, like mm. yeah. I just watch it and I just go, oh man. Like I should be happy with what it is, uh, but it's just uh, so frustrating that it could look so fucking amazing and have these moments of greatness, and then yeah, just that shitty or yeah. <laughs> you know? Well. What do we think of of Dicko and Benny? They're the brothers yes. that run the 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 pet food factory. Um, <laughs> well, again, they at least they are. I mean, they're standouts because they're they're bold, like they're bold visions, and they're sort of a you know that that nightmare archetype of the Australian mm. larrikin, you know, yeah. which yeah. which. 
and you, they've just gone troppo, as they say. You know? <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't say troppo <laughs> yeah. in one of their quotes. Yeah. Well, no. those two characters, I think they're like they're they're mad, uh, Mad Max esque sort of say characters. They're, they're mad cunts. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are mad cunts, but they're sort of uh, Mad Max esque. But then they've also got this wake and fright sort of. Um, cabin fever, like like guys just out in the outback. I think Tarantino describes them, you know, from his perspective, having seen some of these movies back in the day, as being just how the outback was just seemed to be full of these roving gangs of bullies. Mm. You know, like like the Fair Games got them. Yeah, Waking Frights got them. This movie's got them. Mad Max has got them. And and it's it's you know, AJ, you've probably been through some towns that have them. Oh, definitely. <laughs> And you just go, um, I know people that used to go picking, uh, pigging. <laughs> pigging. Yeah. You you know people who who know the, the word, who know the word pig as a verb. Yeah. Pigging. I'm going pigging tonight. I'm yeah. going pigging tonight. Very yeah. different from pegging. <laughs> Extremely very different. different. Very, you know, very different. They're probably not getting much pegging, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, you over here on your holidays then, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you guys hunt rules in this thing, huh? Yeah. Uh, you do any hunting in Canook land? Deer. Sweetheart. Get it? Deer. Hey, hey. Yeah, that's Sarah Cameron's place there. Hey, you can always pop in for a quick uh, uh, visit. <laughs> sorry? Yeah, you'd be sorry, all right? You would be, yeah. <laughs> Honey poo! <laughs> After you! After you! <laughs> So yeah, I think I think they're 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 great characters. Uh, I mean, they're grotesque. That guy, and the, the, obviously Dicko sort of steals the show. Mm. Uh, David Argue, yeah. is that David Argue, yeah. yeah. Well, he's he's famously in BMX Bandits. He plays one of the henchmen that that are sort of after the kids on BMX bikes, and and he's great in that. Um, he's in Gallipoli as well in in a more straight role. He's good in that too. He's just the sort of guy who's gonna he's gonna steal your Chico role. You know, yeah, definitely. Just for something to do, yeah. yeah. He's weird, but also, um, and this dips into trivia. But um, the scenes they did with the older actor Bill Kerr, who plays Jake, uh, Bill had a lot of problems with David Argue on set because Argue and the other guy um, who plays Benny, th- they were just riffing, they were improvising all the time, mm. and it was driving him oh, fucking wow. insane because he's an, he's more of an old school actor. He learnt the lines. He's like, why aren't you saying the lines? You know, just. Piss him off. So they had had you know sort of a lot of tension on set because of that. Um, and I, I get the feeling that David Argue would be difficult to work with. It's a shame he's not been in more stuff because he's uh, he's off the chain, really. Do you mean that he improvised when he was getting killed and was hopping around like a kangaroo and said, <laughs> "I'm a kangaroo," <laughs> so that it, the guy wouldn't kill him? <laughs> He does so many mad things in this, you know. Like, I mean, the attempted rape scene is is terrifying, but also some of the lines are just 
you know, like, like, cause the, the, the woman's car crashes and then he gets out and he's like, Oh, hi, are, are you okay? Are, 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 any broken bones? Um, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm okay. He's like, good. And then he grabs her out of the car. And then, and the first thing he says, I think is, do you want to make love? Yeah. Which I know, I know you, John, you, you hate people that say, do you want to make love? Oh, well, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, oh, yeah, it's a very creepy thing to say. Uh, in any context, you know, <laughs> my club. Uh, but and, and then he says, "How's your French kissing?" Yeah, <laughs> how's, your, how's your French kissing? And the way those two laugh. They're bad people. So fucking creepy. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's big, big, bold decisions, and, and but also the wardrobe too. Like, like when they go out oh, shoot, shooting crazy. for the kangaroos, like he's wearing. Uh, he's gaffer taped his gloves to his jacket sleeves and then he's wearing like a kangaroo fur cape. And and in one scene, he's just wearing the sleeves from like a puffy jacket. Yes. <laughs> not not the full jacket. It's amazing. Well, it's very, yeah, very post-apocalyptic, mm. you know. Yeah. And very, very MTV, which is, you know, I guess Russell Mulcahy's thing as well. Like he's he, he was plugged in to all of that. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, no, that's. Go on, AJ. I think he would have requested to wear those things too. I, I think, think that would have been all him. I think he chose every <laughs> every item. Yeah. He probably rocked up first day on set, like with his own wardrobe. Like, yeah. you know, this is what I was thinking. I could do this. And, you know. <laughs> and they're like, you really, you really delivered on the audition. And he goes, audition. <laughs> uh, but in the first, I think the first line of his in the whole movie is when the reporter is like sniffing around and, and taking footage at the uh, at the pet factory and he catches her and he says, what's up your hole? <laughs> I wrote all these lines down. So. Yes. Oh, and then when he gets home uh, to his like shack that he, that he lives in with his brother and I think he's got uh, the leading man, Carl, with him uh, and he goes, homie poo. <laughs> Isn't that what you say when you get home? When I get home. <laughs> that was mad. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> the lines were amazing. Yeah. I think it was my favourite thing. <laughs> You're mad, Dicko. You can't just go around killing people because you don't like them. Why not? I haven't killed anybody. It's a Razorback, eh? Besides, our toot's been shooting his mouth off. I'm going to have to teach him a lesson. I don't want no part of it. Yeah, but you never want to do anything fun. One fight and you're a hamburger. Come on, get down! Get down! Get down on the ground! Come on! I just want to make sure that you don't go to the cops for this. What are you talking about? Cops! Why didn't you stay in the truck? What did you do that for? Because he was going to go you, you mug. No, he wasn't going to go me pig's ass. Now you just spoil everything. Spoil what? How's he going to feel it now? Oh, I bust yeah. his legs. He'll feel it soon enough, won't he? Couple of what a what a bunch of disgustos. So why why the fuck was Carl hanging out with them? Like he went to Jake. Jake goes go and check out Pet Pack, and I went yeah. okay, all right. And then he went and got checked it out, and he fed them some story, but. I, I watched it a couple of times, and I still don't know what, why, it on what weird. pretext they were letting him hang out. Well, he, he the, the 
the the ruse he had to find out more information was that he was interested in opal mining and that those guys because at the end when 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 he drops Benny down into that mine shaft like that presumably is where they've been digging for opals all around there. So right. that, your subsequent viewings have helped you and not me. <laughs> so so all those little holes like all around the landscape that's their that's their lot like they're looking right. for opals there. So that that was sort of the ruse to get in with those guys. Like, oh, I'm interested in opals. And I guess it's just he doesn't. Well, I don't know. It's it was just. I mean, it doesn't really. It's a MacGuffin anyway. Like, it doesn't really. No one cares. Russell McKay doesn't care. Mm. No one cares. Like, we're, they're just like anyway. They're together. They're hanging out. And but but why he stays is weird because they're like, oh, you know, don't go back to your hotel. Like, stay here tonight. And and it's yeah. just like they live in this like the most disgusting squalid cave. Yeah. Basically, they live in a fucking cave. Like you wouldn't want to close your eyes around them, though. If, no. If rape, if rape culture had a capital city, that would be it. <laughs> <laughs> You'd say, "Where are we going? We're going to Benny and, ben, ben and Dicko's fucking house, all right? <laughs> their rape dungeon. Yeah, their rape dungeon. You know what happens there? And it ain't checkers. No. <laughs> and then, and then he's like, "Yeah, I don't know how he gets on that kangaroo shoot as well. Like they just invite him along, and he's like." I don't know. He's just kind of going along, go, going along with the flow. Mm, but great Bizarre. stuff in that. The car up in the in the tree. Oh mm. yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I've got that in my notes. Yeah, love all that. Love all that. I mean, that was great, nightmarish scene. Like the red eyes on. Uh, yes. Yeah. On, on yeah. Uh, Dicko. Yeah. 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 He yeah, turns yeah, yeah. around. It's almost that's on. the spotlight in his in his eyes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so awesome, you know. Mm. Well, there's heaps of little bits like early on in the film too that uh, that really grabbed me. Like, there's a guy on a camel who walks past, sort yep. of in the background with a ghetto blaster, and uh, he's playing blasting. reckless. Yeah, playing yes. reckless. Yeah, yes. that, that famous Aussie Aussie uh, song. Then there's a group of kids that run across the road, and there's like an emu running along with them. Um, then the camel that pops his head into the pub and steals that guy's can yeah. of coke is really cool as well. Oh, I thought he was drinking beer. Oh, was it a bit? Maybe it was an emu export. <laughs> maybe that's why, because emu beer has a similar kind of colour, red can. So maybe it was an export. And what about the guy? You know, he gets his house torn in, in half. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. And the, the guy watching the Don Lane show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bring back Don Lane. He looked like he had, he was a bit of fun. Oh, he, he was a, a bit of fun. fun. Yeah. Like Australia's become, uh, you know, like I don't know, a real nanny state. You know, like our television is just filled with um, very boring rule-following losers, and the, the guys like Don Lane and Graham Kennedy and all that, like they they seem like they were a bit of fun. Mm. Yeah, Bert Newton, Bert Newton, the late great Bert Newton. Like it feels like these. Lar- I mean, had they tried to cancel him? Yeah. Fucking, you know, not too long ago. Yeah. So I feel like this movie's coming from that same tradition of of. Uh, Fucking with y'all. Mm. Yeah. yeah, for a bit of fun. If you enjoy what we do here on the New Flesh Podcast, there are a number of ways you can contribute to the success of the show. Consider supporting us financially by becoming a Patreon member and donating monthly or yearly. Alternatively, you can donate money through the Buy Me A Coffee platform. If you're strapped for cash at this point in time, there are a number of other ways to support the New Flesh. You can give us a rating or review through Apple Podcasts. These help others to find our show and help spread the word. Or you can tell your friends about us. Don't underestimate the power of a podcast recommendation. And now, back to the show. 
So I actually got I got I do have a couple of, of bigger topics uh, since well I've sort of talked about one there. So why don't we talk about because I mean these little details of the film are, are good, but I want to try and go a little deeper. Now I found this is fascinating. Okay, so you've heard of the cultural cringe, yes? Mm-hmm. Yes. So this is this is a, a an expression that not only it's it it comes from Australia. So it was coined by a guy called Arthur Phillips in uh, the Mean Gin Literary Magazine in 1950, and so this is an old. Let me read you some old excerpts now. Some of the some of the language is, is quite uh, it's quite verbose, but I think you'll get it. So this is this is all about the cultural cringe. So uh, it begins a little strange. The devil of it is that the assumption would be correct. The numbers are against us, and an inevitable quantitative inferiority easily looks like a qualitative weakness. Under the most favourable circumstances, and our circumstances uh, uh, are not favourable, we cannot shelter from invidious comparisons behind the barrier of a separate language. We have no long-established or interestingly different cultural tradition to give security and distinction to its interpreters, and the centrifugal pull of the great cultural metropolises works against us. Above uh, our writers and other artists looms the intimidating mass of Anglo-Saxon Saxon culture. Such a situation almost inevitably produces the characteristic Australian cultural cringe, appearing as either the cringe direct or the cringe inverted. Now, a bit later, he says, a second effect of the cringe has been the estrangement of the Australian intellectual. Australian life, let us agree, has an atmosphere of often dismaying crudity. I do not know if our cultural crust is proportionately any thinner than that of our Anglo-Saxon communities, but to the intellectual, it seems thinner. Uh, it seems thinner because in a small community, there is not enough of it to provide for the individuals a protective insulation. Hence, even more than most intellectuals, he feels a sense of exposure. This is made much worse by the intrusion of that deadly habit of English, compa- English comparisons. There are there's a certain type of Australian intellectual who is forever sidling up to the cultivated Englishman, insinuating, I, I, of course, am not like these other crude Australians. I understand how you must feel about them. I should be, be spiritually more at home in Oxford or Bloomsbury. So the, uh, oh, and this is, the, this is the finish off. This is a bit of poetry here. He says here, the Australian writer cannot cease to be English uh, even if he wants to. The nightingale does not sing under Australian skies, but he still sings in the literate Australian mind. It may thus become the symbol which runs naturally to the tip of the writer's pen, but he dare not use it because it has no organic relation with the Australian life he is interpreting. Now, that is all, you know, maybe a bit much if you're just listening out on a workout, but basically what he's saying is that, you know, looming over Australia is this idea of a very if you you know after after whatever word you want to use invasion or settlement whatever uh it's a very young country and therefore you know we we're also separated from from england and now also you know we never were part of america but there it's got an influence so just to sub in america uh as well for for england in this in this case and what you've got is our uh, you know this cultural cringe this idea we're constantly comparing ourselves to these great these great cultures these great artistic communities these these great things and we can never see and this is true that he says that that thing about the nightingale basically you know you sit down to make a movie and you say oh i want to make jaws and then you go to make jaws and then you know you have the same instincts as an english writer or an american writer but something about being in australia fills you with this horror 
and you you get embarrassed and you and you just you you, you talk yourself out of it and you end up creating rather mediocre work. Mm. <laughs> so I don't know. I just thought this was this was a fascinating thing, the cultural cringe, because this movie was, you know, very Australian mm. in yeah. a way that like there are two kinds of movies we make, right? We either make the the somewhere movie or the anywhere movie. So the somewhere, this is a somewhere movie. It's very, very culturally specific. We like the way that people talk is almost like a dialect. Mm. You know, the way that Dicko talks is a, it's a, it's a dialect. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So many idioms and so many you know turns of phrase and shortenings and all of that. Mm. Bangers, bangers and mash. <laughs> yeah, you know, mi- mystery bags. Yeah, mystery bags. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the other type of movies, the the anywheres, the movie that 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 you know could it's set in Australia, but it could be anywhere. Mm. And uh, and so I don't know. It's 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 we are we are we're trapped. You know, I've I've complained about this a lot. Like no one in America really, oh, from my perspective and what I've seen, I've seen a shitload of American movies. Uh, I don't get the sense that people make movies anywhere in America and feel bad about it or feel mm. bad about what the story the story they're telling ever. Yeah, I feel like every goddamn story we tell, we say, we we start to say here, we're embarrassed about. Mm, we're self conscious, definitely. Yeah, mm. Absolutely, and and you even get the sense in this movie, you know, like this sort of eye rolling of everyone. Oh yeah, oh you're gonna mm. make Jaws, are you? Meanwhile, yeah. they'd made five Jaws movies or whatever this time, and America was like, anyway, we're making Jaws: The Revenge, and it's like, whereas here, it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, you're making making. Megan Jaws, I think you're good, eh? Do you think you're Spielberg, do you? <laughs> well, that's that's the tall poppy syndrome thing there yeah. as well. But it's all part of it. It's all connected. It's a web mm. of shittiness. Like my dad and that and that used to say, like that's the sort of oh yeah, Cecil B. DeMille, eh? You know yeah, that yeah, sort of yeah. stuff. Like where you just go, what, what? Am I? Should I not do? Should we not be? Having yeah. an imagination? Should we not be mm. doing anything? Or aspiration as well. Like if you aspire to be, like. You know, like an like an artist or a writer or a musician that's overseas or whatever, you get that. Yeah, you get the eye rolling and oh, you know, oh, you you want to be a bit like that, do you? You know, mm. well, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's also <laughs> there's also a weird connection with well, it's not a weird connection, but but that connection we have with the British as well, like because people people in Australia in the fifties, sixties, and seventies who were born here in Australia and, and never had even been to Britain talked about England like it was home. And and they'd say things like, one day I'm going to go home. Mm. That was a phrase people used to say, oh, one day I'm going to go home. So so there's this weird feeling that people had in those times that Australia wasn't their home, that that that, that England really was, even though they were born here and, and hadn't even set foot on English soil. That's another weird sort of aspect of it, is that for a long time we've 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 felt ourselves, yeah, just an extens- extension of, of England. Whereas when you, you know, you know from your English friends or when you go to England or whatever, you know, you, you, it's very clear that we're not England. <laughs> it's very clear that we're, we've got our own quirks and we're, you know, weird and wonderful and we, we, do, we do things differently. Do you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. and it's the same when you go to America. You go, fuck, I'm not American either. And, and yeah. like, so it's, it's a very strange thing. And this movie, I'm always drawn to art from our countries that, that or our country that has people who've gotten out involved. And Russell Mulcahy, Mulcahy is a cosmopolitan Australian. He's a cosmopolitan Australian. He's someone who, you know, got famous young doing doing music videos, went to London, you know, made crazy videos. I'll get into those in a sec, but, you know, but all the music's done by Ice House. Ice House got out. 
Mm. You know, they 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 might they might live here some of the year, or they might live here now, but they can get out if they want. You know what I mean? Mm. They're not trapped here. Like I know that, like you know, on one level, it's the greatest country in the world. On another level, it's very stifling. And so this movie's filled with a spirit and people, some people that represent to me this idea of flight of the imagination, you know, of of real legitimate work, you know. Uh, and uh, like, yeah, just hear some of the music videos that Russell Mulcahy, Mul- Mulcahy did. Absolute music video legend. So he did the first music video that appeared on MTV. Oh, wow. Video Killed the Radio Star by the Buggles. Uh, the list is so long. I'm just going to give you about five or six. Here we go. The Vapors, Turning Japanese. Elton John, I'm Still Standing. And I guess that's why they call it The Blues. Ice House, Hey Little Girl, Spandau Ballet, True. Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Wow. Queen, A Kind of Magic, Princes of the Universe. Def Leppard, Pour Some Sugar on Me. Billy Joel, We Didn't Start the Fire. He's got Rolling Stones. He's got the whole gang. Everyone's in there. Like yeah. it's Duran it's, Duran. Duran Duran, like enormous hits. You know, this guy was, was, was fucking huge. So influential. Like, like that. Think about that. Like now, like that was, that was, and I'm sort of switching gears now, but that was an era of mainstream. He had the sort of mainstream success, success that we cannot fathom mm. in this, in this world of, of niche interests and everyone's got a podcast <laughs> and yeah. everyone's got a platform and everyone's voice is relevant and whatever. Yeah. We cannot imagine a world where one guy did all of those video clips. Talk about king of the world. Think of how many millions of people across the entire globe, millions and millions of people all sat down and experienced his art, all one guy. That is incredible. Mm. You know what I mean? So, you know, but anyway, back to the original point. It's just like, you know, everyone involved in this movie, like Dean Semler, the DOP, he's another one who got out of Australia, you know? So, well, he's... he's proudly back here now i'm sure but you know mad max so dop of mad max two and three so you know it as the road warrior if you're from america did dead calm the light horseman city slickers last action hero Waterworld, dances with wolves which he which he won uh, a deserving oscar for which is a brilliant movie a fucking nine and a half out of ten movie and if you don't like dances with wolves you can go straight to hell it's an incredible movie (laughs) I don't care what anyone says. I, I and you know what? I don't care about all this work stuff because we'll always have the good shit that happened. You know what I mean? We'll have Dan- they can never take Dance with the Wolves away from us. Like that's one of those movies that like, you know, and Dean Samuel was involved in that. Apocalypto, he also did that. Oh, that's great. There you go. So I wanna I wanna do that on this show. Well, what it was so we should. There you go. And so the writer, Everett DeRoche, came from America in his twenties. Here's some films he did from this time. Patrick. Uh, Long Weekend, Snapshot, Road Long Games. Weekend is good. It is good. Fortress, which I love, which we, which we should do, uh, and uh, Wind Rider and Frog Dreaming and stuff like that. So anyway, you're getting the sense from all these people that, you know, these are all big legitimate people who, who, who had wings and they, 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 I think all, if I had to put my finger on it, you know, they, they all represent to me the idea of the, the, the untethered, cosmopolitan australian you know they're not horrified by the country because look they revel in all the stuff that the landscape like dean similar loves the landscape you see it in mad max you see it in uh you know uh all you know even in dance with wolves whatever uh but you know uh that they they don't reject the country but they're not they're not uh chained by it in the way that certainly i felt you know growing Mm. up i don't know big long tangent cultural cringe 
That's what we'll call it. It's true, though. It exists, you know, it and, it, and, it, and it, it, it keeps us, it, it holds us back from, from making good stuff, but also getting, getting involved in it, you know. Uh, so often audiences in Australia, they, they, won't, they won't touch lo locally made stuff, you know, locally made films unless it gets success overseas. We saw this with Wolf Creek, you know. No one wanted to even watch Wolf Creek until Quentin Tarantino said it was the most terrifying movie he's ever seen. Mm. And then it became a big thing, you know. Wolf Creek, Wolf Creek the location is in, Australia, in Western Australia mm. and the Western Australian uh, funding body rejected uh, the project. Really? So, and I was there at the Christmas party when, uh, well, I might as well say it, she's not in the role anymore, the idiot who ran uh, the uh, funding body <laughs> there um, uh, got up and, and made some blathering uh, sort of like humble brag apology thing where she's like, oh, I know there's been a lot of talk how, how we didn't, but we, we've done all these wonderful projects. And I'm just like, you, you twat. You know what I mean? Like this sort of pathetic trying to, trying to, Put a band-aid over the gaping yeah. wound. Did didn't she tell people at the party not to mention Wolf Creek? Yeah, yeah. It was grotesque, <laughs> man. Like it was just like it was the worst thing ever. And I was just like, you know, I gotta get out of here. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's the scariest movie I've ever seen today. It's an incredible movie. Great movie. Well, look, is, well yeah. why don't we just change gears quickly? Look, I you know, there's not look, I've got to be honest with you, AJ. There's not a lot going on in this movie. <laughs> Uh, in term romantically is what I'm saying, but uh, it's keeper or creeper. Now I just got a couple that I want to run through with you. I feel let's call it a bit of a top deck, you know, because we've got just the very very binary choice. So we've got Gregory Harrison as Carl Winters, um, Canadian. So you know, I guess he'd be polite, I suppose. Um, uh, it was before they were really woke as well, so. It's kind of you know that that's he's got that going for him. Handsome, I think. He's, well, wait, do you think Carl's handsome? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you do. I really? knew, I knew it. You know, he's got that rugged, <laughs> handsome, yeah, he's hot. real man. Yeah, yeah, he's hot. hot. Great. Uh, he cooks. So, um, I hope you're gonna mention the apron. Yeah, you're in the apron. So, you know, the, but the apron doesn't the apron have like isn't it like a yeah, woman in fishnet stockings or yeah. something? It's it's a it's a naughty apron, is it? It yeah. is, yeah. Yeah. So that's so bit it's cheeky. not so it's not a punk bitch apron. It's more like like you know it's going in a different direction. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, he seems to be upwardly mobile. I actually don't know what he does for a crust, to be honest with you. They don't mention. Isn't it. Isn't he a kept man? He follows that reporter around. Yeah. He cooks for her. It mm. seems that way. It seems Do we like way. her? No. Can we Just quickly? Um, I. I actually was going to say, just as an aside, Julia Morris, I think that's her name. Is that her name? Who plays um, Beth? Judy. Judy Morris. Sorry. Julia Morris, a comedian. Uh, Judy Morris, uh, her accent is unforgivable. Mm. And um, I'd like to formally apologize to the American people for her. So mm. she was not good. No. She was terrible. She was not not likable. No. 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 She, she looked like she wasn't having fun. Anyway, so... Uh, he's dedicated. Carl's dedicated. He'll travel across the world if you go missing, all right? Yeah, yeah until he shacks <laughs> up with some other broad. Well, what I'll say is that if it does happen, don't worry. He's capable of moving on. <laughs> yeah. if, if you're worried that he's not going to move on, he will. All it takes is a bit of hot blonde toddy. That's right. he is off and racing. So that's Carl Winters, keeper or creeper. Keeper, he's hot. Oh! oh, we got a keeper. 
FIFA. <laughs> I love it. This is great. I wish I you got to play a sound or something. Go, amazing. Keeper. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, indeed. Ding, ding. So he's a keeper, and I love that you're willing to forgive his his love rattery. That's right. Like you know, that's that. I think that is that's kind of sweet. You're you're ha- you want him to be happy. I do. If you even though he lost me and the baby, which is not uh, great. <laughs> that's not great. So he's not. But then again, he's sta- He's obviously very emotionally stable. So he's like, okay, well, that's that's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. But anyway. On with the hot young blonde. Yeah. <laughs> Arky Whiteley. She's something else. She's good. Uh, so next up, uh, well, that's good. Uh, I feel, you know, that I still want to present you with some other people. Well, at least one Ooh. other person. David argue as Dicko Baker. So Dicko uh, is gainfully employed, salt of the earth, laid back, um, loyal. I'd say he's loyal. Definitely his brother, you know, he's, he's tight with his brother. <laughs> Um, he gets a little frisky after dark, if you know what I mean. A little frisky. Um, you know, some quotes. We, we've been through them, you know. He's, uh, he says, what's up your hole? You know, do you want to make love? How's your French kissing? Shut your hole. So <laughs> a man, uh, he knows the language of love is what I'm saying. Ooh. Keeper or creeper? Hang on. Are you not going to mention his personal hygiene? Oh, he's just, he's a disgust, though. <laughs> oh. He's a dirty, he'd have a dirty old dick. Oh, it would, it would stink. Oh, oh, he'd have well. dick cheese. <gasps> oh. 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 <laughs> All of that is true. Oh. Keep it up, Grape up. Grape up. Grape up. <laughs> um, but he scared the shit out of me. Okay. Worse <laughs> than the guy in the wraith? Or? Oh, yes, because, because he's Aussie. Yeah, but the but the guy in the wraith, at least he was clean. That's true. Like yeah. Dicko's dirty. He's filthy. Like he you'd smell him coming, you know? Around the corner. Oh yeah. Mm. That okay. BO would be terrible. It would be bad. Anyway, oh well that's great. I'm so glad. Um we'll have to remember all the keepers. So Carl Winters, Gregory Harrison. We should you know, send him try and slide into his DMs and say <laughs> And say, you, we do a podcast and you were the keeper this week. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Gregory. <laughs> and he, he's a hot old man too. He would be. Too. Is he? Yeah. Mm. Well, you know, uh, he was going, his character was going to be played by Jeff Bridges. Oh. But uh, the, the uh, producer, Hal something. McElroy. He thought uh, that he didn't have enough international appeal. That's the most Australian thing ever. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't believe it. I mean, who is he anyway? Who is he anyway? Who is yeah. he anyway? Stay hungry. What's that? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's no good. Trivia reviews. Yeah. Well. Well. First of all, I just wanted to mention Ivor Davies. His oh, score is yes. really good. Um, it's interesting. He he uses a thing called a Fairlight CMI, which stands for Computer Music Instrument, which was an early digital synthesizer with sampling capabilities. Uh, but because of the low quality of the sampling, it had a really unique sound. And the Fairlight was actually invented and made in Australia. So, uh, and it was used by uh, Peter Gabriel, uses it a lot on his famous album. So, you know, uh, Sledgehammer, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Herbie Hancock, uh, you know, so many people have used uh, Stevie Wonder. Um, and I, I think, like I said before, I think the strength of the score is 
the subtle the subtle scenes of landscape some um, a little less jazzed by the driving music that underscores the more thrilling parts although i think they're effective um but yeah i think Ivor davies he's interesting like i i didn't i didn't know this but he's actually a really learned musician he plays played the oboe to a really high standard like he went to the sydney conservatorium of music and played a few concertos with symphony orchestras as a as a young person and uh, I think he dropped out of the conservatory to pursue Ice House and sort of, you know, rock and roll, the rock and roll thing. Uh, he did really well. Are you going to mention his hair or what? He has <laughs> some of the most glorious hair back in the day that, that you'll ever see from the 80s. So. Like like the paradigm, paradigmatic uh, mullet. I don't know what that word is, but it sounds impressive. Well, it is, you know, we're talking this is a, a perfect mullet like like the yeah. ultimate like the the the, the uh, paragon of mullets That's yeah who, who does it better him or james spader um Ooh. well spader's mullet is very good uh but ivers has got um i think he's got a bit more body yeah more it. volume more volume mm. uh, spader's as as his age has shown out it's very thin you know it is yeah uh, mm. his decline is uh something else all right i'll hit you with some reviews now um so several critics compared the film to Steven Spielberg's Jaws. Uh, Empire Magazine awarded the film two out of five stars, writing the oddball nightmare style is effective, but the prop pig and underpar acting let the film down. TV Guide also gave the film two out of five stars, commending the film's cinematography, but stated that the film was too repetitive and sometimes simply too silly to be truly engaging. <laughs> um, Little do they know that's how I speak. Variety Magazine gave the film a positive uh, review writing that the plot may be a bit familiar but Razorback is no quickie it's an extremely handsome production beautifully shot by Dean Selma and yeah I mentioned the New York Times uh, before they love the landscapes and the wonderfully bizarre almost Dali-esque character so they're the reviews um Mostly bad, but there are a few that <laughs> there are a few that see uh, see the good elements of the film, and, and and then they're the they're the parts that you I think that you would come back to see the film for. You know, like the, the pig sucks, but there's enough in it to to warrant a watch, don't you think? Definitely. But there are people who are overstating it. There are people who want it to be more than it is. They're on yes, the, they're on yeah. YouTube. They've done reviews. Well, I've I've read a few of those like Dread Central like horror horror fanboy reviews that that yeah do overstate the pig as being just this wake up thing. guys wake up like accept it accept it it's not it's 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 a failure yeah well yeah they could be talking about dicko and and benny as being the terrifying things about the movie mm. you know which yeah. they are yeah. definitely um so yeah uh the phone call from steven spielberg uh he was curious on how he achieved some of the effects in the dream sequence uh, particularly the shot of the two moons. Um, so a fully sized animatronic model Razorback was built at a cost of $250,000 and is seen for only a few minutes. So mm. money well spent. Um, hell of a time. That's right. Yeah. The, the DOP was hired on the strength of his work on the Road Warrior, um, otherwise known as Mad Max 2. Yeah, that's what I've got for trivia and reviews. Well, I got one more uh, bit of bit of education for you. I just want to introduce this term because this happens in this movie. So this there's got two false starts in this movie, right? So we begin with Jake and he's 
sort of like put to the side. And then we begin with Beth and then she's taken care of and then Carl takes over. Mm. So a very sort of Hitchcockian hand yeah. over there. Mm. It's like Psycho. Yeah, but they've added, it's Jake's add something else. So we start with Jake, drop Jake, start with, go with Beth, drop her and go. go. So it's a bit Psycho. But this is actually what's termed in woke speak uh, fridging. Really? Okay. Oh. So fridging. Now, this is from a, Guardi- a Guardian article where you can read all about this. Um, perhaps we'll put it in the notes. It says, from Bond to ITV's strangers, why is everyone fridging? Uh, blah, blah, blah. So here we go. Uh, fridging or women in refrigerators is, is shorthand for a persistent sexist trope named after a 1994 Green Lantern comic in which the hero returns home to find that his nemesis, Major Force, has <laughs> oh, that's shitty, has murdered his girlfriend, Alexandra DeWitt, and stuffed her corpse in a fridge. So begins a tale of revenge in which Green Lantern reaches new heights of superheroism, but his female companion can't make any decisions or enjoy any character progression because she's been sacrificed. She's died to give our hero something to do Quote, while the woman plays an integral part in the narrative in terms of characterization, the focus is on the trauma of the man, not the woman that has experienced, uh, uh, quote, explains Dr. Miriam Kent, a lecturer on film and uh, media studies at the University of East Anglia. I'm sure she's a real uh, real riot. Uh, Anyway, uh, she says that, um, quote, these things are ultimately connected to men's and women's roles in society, who's active, who's passive. Uh, just one last finishing off. Uh, WIR, Women in Refrigerators, has been prevalent in superhero narratives since The Amazing Spider-Man, shockingly, when they killed, shockingly killed Gwen, uh, Gwen Stacy, uh, blah, blah, blah. So so is the idea that that um, that the journalist in this movie dies and then we follow her husband around? Yes, a man. We follow the man around. A man. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's basically a shorthand. And look, it's a clever term because essentially, yeah, it's just saying that um, you, you know, it's getting you to pay attention to who has the the, the narrative real estate and who who gets to make active choices and who's uh, you know uh, has agency in the story and whose life is being used uh, for an end, you know, to to as, as a MacGuffin, uh, you know. So it's it's interesting uh, on one side, but. It's also really naive on the other because, you know, cinema is is voyeuristic and, and very selfish and, you know, we care about the characters we care about and we want them to get on their journey. And, you know, there's been a lot of examples of, you know, I mean, you do have to get their story started and sometimes someone's got to die. <laughs> yeah. to, it's to almost the quickest way to, to get a film going, isn't it? Mm. Sure. And I don't know what their fixes are for this. I, I'm sure that they, they, they're suggesting it usually ends with, well, maybe maybe the story should be about the girlfriend and not the Green Lantern. <laughs> and you go, well, I don't, yeah. I don't know if I would have bought that comic when I was <laughs> yeah. a kid uh, in that case. But, you know, look, I mean, it's just a term that uh, along with the Bechdel test, which we'll cover another time, these terms are out there. They get said. Um, they're in writers' rooms as well because the writers' rooms are very woke. Oh shit! We've got to cover that 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 um, Barry Weiss article at some point as mm. well about um, the wokeness of Hollywood right now. But anyway, this is definitely a term. So in future, when this happens, you know, just be a, we, we can talk about it. Let's see if we see an example of fridging or mm. you know uh, when it happens. I mean, I mean, what do you think, AJ? What do you think of fridging? I think that the pig was the fridger in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds go. like something you do when you're alone. 
seriously. In your bedroom. Fridging. Like you, yeah, what yeah, bullshit. Well, so <laughs> yeah. are they fridging their daughter in the start because her kid is the one that dies? Well, that's the thing. It's like, you, like you where know, does that, it end? Well, well, it ends. What it is is it's 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 a certain kind of extreme feminist position where, you know, you, it ends when the person who said fridging in in the meeting gets exactly what they want, <laughs> which is which that's is no usually, male characters. It's usually well, it's no, it's usually them uh, getting given the contract to write Green Lantern. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what they right. want. Like like it's got nothing to do with you know saving you know the poor women of, of of Afghanistan. It's got everything to do with specific cynical people, you know, using shame and guilt, you know, weaponizing shame and guilt in order to feather their mm. own nest. But 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 the way that's that terms used, um, and and the quote that you just read, it sounds as though there are no other female characters in the film, like. Like the, the the female character dies in order to progress the film, so a man you can follow a man's journey, and that there's no female characters along the way. Like mm. in this film, you've got the character Sarah, who's a very independent. She's a scientist. She's she's tracking. She's putting tracking devices on on wild boars and stuff, and she's been given this grant to 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 do her research. And I didn't need a tracking device on your little Johnson when you first saw her. <laughs> Straight up, <laughs> Straight up it went. Well, there's that. Right. There's that. Uh, I should have said, I should have mentioned this in trivia, like the way they got her to do the nude scene, which I've mentioned a couple of episodes ago for some reason. I can't remember why, but um, she she had a nude double that was going to play her, and the producer director really wanted her to do it. So you know they got someone. I think the producer probably approached her and said, "Listen, we've got we've got your stunt butt here, but just letting you know, it's got a little bit of cellulite." So. You know, just letting you know, and so she's like, "Fuck that, I'll do it." That's crazy. Yeah. Do you think that? Do you think that's a story that Dr. Miriam Kent from the University of East Anglia <laughs> yeah. would appreciate? As <laughs> <laughs> who specialises in gender identity representation, <laughs> yeah. she'd be like, um, "What is? Are you? Do you really do a podcast called?" Sorry yeah. And the and you go yeah yeah and anyway I was just saying that it was it was good how they got it <laughs> and then she goes I've already called the UN I'm yeah. doing a speech about you being the biggest pig man <laughs> since the Taliban it'll happen one so, day anyway. one day <laughs> one day Emma Watson will give a speech about us <laughs> so I was listening my boyfriend uh, who I was with for three months. That's all he could stand to be with me for. He was listening to a podcast entitled, oh, I can't say it, Side Cinema. <laughs> so anyway, that's bridging. All right. Well, finish off with a quick Me Too meter. Uh, it's a good good transition from Emma Watson herself, uh, the queen uh, of uh, of the Me Too movement herself. Uh, so what do we got? Fridged. We've already talked about that. Beth is dispatched uh, so her cis white male partner can save the day. Uh, it's a movie about a pig <laughs> made by pigs. <laughs> Clearly. Mm. All right. Oh, and before that, uh, she's dispatched. Uh, she's sexually assaulted, uh, which, you know, speaks for itself. Uh, but then again, the people who do the assaulting are disgustos. Again, we have to make the distinction. It's not Mahoney. Yeah. Like, like when Mahoney is is trying to <laughs> trying to uh, like trick women into getting naked and have sex with them and stuff like that, he is a hero and he's saying, "Be me, be Mahoney." Mm. Whereas 
Dicko is fucking disgusting. He's he's clearly a criminal. So you know, it's sort and of he gets like killed that. Who does well. that? And he gets but killed. But I feel so like too, this shouldn't have been her first rodeo because she was literally at a rodeo and they were get she was getting yelled at in the first scene. She's <laughs> <laughs> so a bit too smart. Bit too smart. Nicely done. Nicely done, Major. That was good. You got me. Uh, my mind went back and I went, she is at the rodeo. <laughs> I feel like she could have been smarter. Yeah, no, she was a dumbo. So uh, the entire town seems to be filled with gross predators uh, led by the aggressively dirty uh, Benny and Dicko. Uh, yeah, that's that's Sarah Cameron's place there. You can always pop in for a quick visit. <laughs> so there you go. I think that that they, they don't mean tea and crumpets. Um Carl stumbles into a farmstead and happens upon a uh, upon young hot bosoms. Now, and that's and that's good, is it, Ricky? Yeah. I bet you think that young women with supple breasts showering is good. Yeah. Is that good? That's good, is it? Yeah. Hot blondes with boobs out. Is that good? Yeah. Yeah, outdoor shower. Yeah, good. So, <laughs> um, and oh, this is the last little bit. Did you catch the bus stop kissy kiss? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah the- Did you notice this? Yeah. So Carl gets dropped off you know, at the bus stop, and Sarah goes to leave. His wife's barely cold, and, uh, like, he fully pulls his chick in, like, you know, yeah. full um, Weinstein style. Yeah. Kissy kiss. And she sort of doesn't want to do it. Nah, she's so, down. She's down. She's, she's down, down for the pound. She's down well, there you go. That's what we've got. What do we what do we rate this set of uh, oh, ten? It's low, I reckon. What? Yeah, you don't think it's low? It's high, but it's creep filled. <laughs> it's it's different. It's different from the Carry On films. Right. It's a different it's kind of gross. <laughs> mm. So, well, you two, I need you to, you two. I, I was going to give it a four. To go first. Um, seven, at really? least. Wow, what are, you, what are you giving it, uh, John? Well, who's to say? Yeah, I don't know. Like it, it is a, it is a nasty movie mm. overall. I feel that um, justice is largely served. Um, yeah, it depends on your standards, doesn't it? Like, it's, it feels like it's. They are out in the middle of nowhere. Like it's, you know, I don't know. Like I feel like. I, I, it's a cop out for me to say that it's that I'm in the middle there, but I feel like it could be a five or a six. Mm. But then again, I I don't know. Like it depends how hardcore you are. Like like if if you if you're worried about fridging, well then it's a, it's it's a fifteen out of ten, mm. you know. And then and but if you if you if you're not, then I don't know. I also think that you know maybe I was just so happy to see the boobies that I just knocked the. <laughs> they are fleeting up. though. They are fleeting, but that uh, isn't that life, though. Mm. You know, like, <laughs> like they're out there, and you see them, and you go, "Oh, that was great," and then that's it. That's it. So, so I don't know. Yeah, I feel like it. Yeah, I don't know. Seven, seven. I feel like yeah, that's that's a bit high for me. I, I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna put it. A, a the only good person in the movie is Jake. Mm. <laughs> when you think about it, yeah, <laughs> that is true. So everyone. What about Sarah? Sort of. Oh well, she. His wife's just died. Mm, she's moving so in. So they're both creeps. I'm not saying that this is a one man show. Yeah, she- that 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 is a that is a problem. Like that that that's a that's a script thing. Like you know that Everett Deroche is, is, is he's proper. I, I really like his writing, but 
that that, that is something you, you can't let yeah, that go. Yeah, I get, was they, wanting them to get together though. They're very attractive together. Well, the industry term, what do they say? They say you want to ship them. So uh, the idea is that if we want them to get together, which is absolutely fair enough, they're both, you know, young and, and nubile uh, relatively, and uh, they should have set that up a bit better, you know. You just need to be deft with with the, with the wife. You know, can you have – she had the full suite, the wife. The wife with a fucking baby. Yeah. So he, he was in a loving relationship, like married for years probably, and a new baby on the way. And like that's too much. That's too much. Like you can't have a you can't you know Make it you can't sister. have all that. Yeah. Oh well, that's what they do in Psycho. Sort of yeah, get around right. Spy. Yeah. Mm. And that's the fu- that. But then I just I think this is an impossible problem mm. because it, the only way to do it is to, is to engage with his grief, and we don't have time for that. Yeah, that's true. You know. But then again, it's, you're right. You're right. Like it's it's too much. And then you've got him putting her. Uh, like, you know, give him a little kissy kiss. Mm. After she's that just probably... found his ring, the ring, basically. Yeah. Oh, here's the ring of your dead wife. Mm, yeah, and... I want to fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe she I fancied that uh, ring on herself, you know. Maybe. Yeah. After she cleaned the pig shit off her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God. Jesus. You can't right. well, make me watch this movie and then not expect me to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it is. A, it, that's the thing. We are affected by these movies. Like they, they, whatever we watch, you know, this, this is a rough and ready movie, and uh, certainly uh, get the blood pumping. <laughs> okay. Well, we said what we said. We did. All right. Well, quickly, next week, uh, what are we doing? Album Purple or or what? Or Barry McKenzie? What do you want to do, AJ? Let's do Album Purple. Sex romp around yeah around sydney and oh no i think it's shot in melbourne so sex romp all right shot in melbourne sweet all right yep what well, we said what we said and uh until next time longer than you flash longer than you flash side <laughs> Cinema. It would stink. <laughs>